0: Let's go to your next patient, the 15-year-old woman. I first saw this patient. She's a 50-year-old female with a past medical history of only anxiety. She had presented to her primary care doctor uh, approximately a week before seeing me with a headache that had been persistent for approximately three weeks. Her primary care doctor went really, the first test on his mind was an MRI, and that got done rather quickly. Unfortunately, the MRI showed multiple metastatic lesions, with a fair amount of vasogenic edema, with some mass effect on her fourth ventricle. She was sent over to see me right away, and further evaluation was then undertaken. The patient's physical exam was pretty unrevealing. She actually felt well at this point on a little bit of decadron. I sent her for further imaging studies, including CAT scans as well as PET scan, her PET scan showed multiple FDG-avid lymph nodes in her left hilum, subcarinal region, paratracheal legion, left thoracic inlet, and I sent her off for a bronchoscopy. Her bronchoscopy was done, and at that time we had still held off starting her on any radiation therapy, though we were fortunate we could get this all done within a few days. Her pathology was consistent with adenocarcinoma. With this, I sent her to the radiation therapist. She was on Decadron twice a day at this point, and I started her on temozolamide, and she began external beam radiation to her brain.
1: Could I
2: just ask, Ed, what do we know about temozolamide in brain mets?
1: Well, it is indicated in brain mets with radiation, and I know it is used out there. I personally don't use it a lot, but it's not because I don't like it or anything. It's just, I think, what one practices. So I wouldn't say it's right or wrong to use it, and certainly if patients are tolerating it, it certainly could add some benefit. Are there randomized data, though, in metastatic disease? It's an indication there. There is randomized, I believe it was phase two study in metastatic that showed some benefit. And frankly, it's a lot like how we use these bisphosphonates as well, Neil. And if you want to get down and technical, it's do they reduce skeletal events? And yes, they do. Does that imply that they improve survival? And there was a trend in survival in the Neil Rosen study. So I think we have to, again, extrapolate data, look at what the risks and the benefits are, and try and treat our patient as best as we feel we can.
2: Is that what you normally do with brain Mets, Jeff, or in specific situations?
0: It's been my practice for patients with metastatic disease to the brain. I have read the data that Dr. Kim is referring to. There is evidence that it may serve as a radiosensitizer. I have not seen any real significant deleterious side effects from it. So it's one of those, it may help and it doesn't hurt, might as well have the patient on it. The patients often feel like they're doing something active by taking a quote-unquote chemotherapy while they're just getting their radiation. It actually, at least some perception is that it will have some control of the rest of their disease, which you know we know the reality of that. She did wonderful through her radiation, though. Following this, we had a long discussion about systemic chemotherapy, and we began her on Systemic chemotherapy consisting of carboplatin, taxotere, and avastin. How long after the radiation
2: was that? About three weeks. So, Ed, what do we know about using
1: bevacizumab in patients with brain mets? Well, if you asked me about a year ago, Neil, and you actually may have asked me a year ago, (laughs) uh, I would have said the research clinical trials that are ongoing are now allowing brain metastases, treated brain metastases with bevacizumab and chemotherapy. I felt when you look at the data and the safety that's accumulated with bevacizumab over time, there was certainly no contradiction to it, but everybody sort of got scared with the hemoptysis and the bleeding and you know they didn't want any subdural bleeds. But I told physicians who always asked me this question, It's still on the label where you shouldn't give it with brain mets, and that's what sort of sometimes carries you, even though clinically it may not make any sense. I can now look those doctors in the eye and tell them I've done it. I've treated patients with brain metastases that have been treated with Bevacizumab, Avastin, and they've been perfectly fine.
2: What kind of data do we have addressing that question? There were some presented last year at ASCO.
1: Yeah, they've been doing these registry studies and they're collecting a lot of data and they really haven't seen any safety signal that would say that you would have more of an increased chance of an intracranial bleed than just having brain metastases alone. Are
2: there any guidelines in terms of how much they've already been treated as somebody who just completed radiation therapy, considered treated enough that you can do this?
1: Is that what you do? They generally state that you should wait about four weeks, and that's what was done in the clinical studies. Beta, most notably, was one of the first studies to include not just the brain metastases that were treated, but also peripheral squamouses. And I think when you're talking squamuses and bevacizumab, that's a much higher risk cohort set than a treated brain metastases.
2: Jeff, what went into your decision to use docetaxel as opposed to paclitaxel with carbo and avastin in this situation?
0: A lot of it has to do with experience. I've had a lot more experience with docetaxel. I'm very familiar with their quality of life data when combined with carbo and felt comfortable adding bevacizumab to it. Now, see, Neil, I
1: thought he was going to say the impressive phase two data <laughs> out of MD Anderson that showed a high response rate and a great tolerability with a good PFS. So.
2: But now, is that with bevacizumab?
1: Yeah, that was a carbodocetaxel of Aston study. We've published that at ASCO as well as at the targeted therapies meeting. The manuscript is being written. We have a PFS of almost eight months, a response rate that is 50% and a disease control rate of 100% after four cycles.
2: What other studies have looked at
1: docetaxel and bevacizumab? You know, there aren't that many. They really should have done more studies, and this was an investigator-initiated study that we did. There has not been a lot of pursuit with docetaxel and bevacizumab. There is some second-line data, single agent. There's a European study with cisplatin and docetaxel with bevacizumab. But other than that, the number of trials and experience gets very light very quickly. So what's the current
0: status, Jeff? Well, she has now completed six cycles of chemotherapy. She finished about two and a half months ago. We did a PET scan at the time of her completion, which her PET CT showed no residual hypermetabolism to suggest any tumor. She's now on maintenance BEV and came for follow-up today. She actually looked wonderful. She feels great. We had one long issue to discuss today, and that was her continued smoking. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Let's hear about that conversation. Well, we spoke to her on a couple different issues, one of which was that we certainly do know that patients who continue to smoke who have a history of lung cancer do worse and are at not only risk for relapse of their lung cancer, but risk of a second primary. And I finally talked her into a smoking cessation clinic as well as medication. And she seemed like she was rather into it by the time we finished our conversation. So, Ed, I guess the other point of
2: view would be this lady unfortunately has a disease that's not going to be curable. Why not let her enjoy her smoking? Is it that big of a hindrance in terms of the clinical course?
1: I think that way as well, Neil. People who quit get more stressed out when they have metastatic non-small cell and they like to smoke, etc. I think in someone who so far has done very well, is responding very well, and we try to do everything we can to allow a patient to have as many choices or possibilities in treatment. And the gentleman we talked about previously who couldn't walk at first, and what we're trying to do is optimize his overall health and performance to allow us to have the freedom to choose treatments. And we know that active smoking... Now, active smoking can impair some of these chemotherapies or biologic therapies. And in fact, with Tarceva, it's been shown that if you have active smoking, the dose is inadequate and it's recommended that you use a 300 milligram dose. There have been studies in the last 15, 20 years that have shown drugs like arenotecan and others are impaired by active smoking. So I think in someone who's doing well, we want to try and optimize every part that can be optimizable. And in her, smoking was the clear mark that came out today.
2: Jeff, I don't know if you talked to her about this, but when I was looking at your patient notes on her, I noticed that her dad died at the age of 63 of lung cancer. He did. He
0: died of metastatic disease. He was a smoker too, I guess. He was a smoker too that ever come up in your conversations? Did she bring that up? It has. While she was on active therapy, I tried not to hammer home that I wanted her to get off the tobacco. Undergoing chemotherapy, as Dr. Kim said, is really stressful enough. But at this point, she is doing wonderfully. Her last PET scan is negative. Her last brain MRI showed no residual metastatic disease. So now I felt comfortable in discussing with her that she's done so well Let's move on to the next level. I didn't bring up her father with her today, but we have talked about it before. Any bev issues with her? No, none at all. No hypertensive issues, no proteinuria issues. Any other comments on her as a person? What's her family constellation? She's married. There are a couple other things we discussed today. Her husband usually comes with her, but didn't come today. The big issue that we got into today with her is the economy, and it started to affect her. She's worked full-time throughout all of her treatment, but the place she's working for now has just cut her hours in half, and she wasn't sure what was going to happen next to her as far as employment, health insurance, etc. And that certainly is a new stressor for her. What kind of work does she do? She's an assistant manager in a furniture retailer. I think it's always her fear that the possibility that she could lose her health insurance, and then where would she be with a very aggressive malignancy that's metastasized to her brain with no ability to obtain care. Is that something that you're seeing more commonly now? I am seeing a lot more patients who can't afford secondary insurance. I'm seeing a lot of Medicare-only patients who don't have the ability to get AARP or another form or ability to pay for their medications. And that's become a real issue. Any other issues or comments on this case, Ed?
1: No, I think usually when you see someone who's an active smoker, their chances of success are not as good. And she's doing exceptionally well. It's just as Jeff said, she's got multiple stressors going on that are not just the cancer. I mean, lung cancer on top of everything that's going on in the economy and other things. And this is someone who's benefiting. And I think she's trying to take positive steps to correct some of these things.